kind of start doing cool shit because you have to or because you get paid and you know you're going to get subscribers when you don't really want to. That's where I got towards the end. Like I always say going to a theme park if you've never been in your life before is probably really, really cool. If you go every year, it's way less cool. If you have to go to a theme park and ride five rides every day or every week, you're like, this sucks. You know mm. what I mean? And that's what it got like. Sneaking onto the red carpet with Leonardo DiCaprio is an example where it sounded really fucking cool and it was with the TV show as well. I really believed we'd do it and we had to be like, oh my God, I can't believe this works. And I remember just being sat in the toilet. <laughs> it, for it became routine, right? Yeah, man. Like, like, where I'm sat in the toilet for three hours waiting for Leonardo to arrive. I'm like, I can't be arsed with this. Like, <laughs> it just can't be arsed. I'd rather it's be at home like... just watching something. And uh, then we're on the red carpet and we meet him and yeah. the TV show wants us to like bear hug him and we're like, can't be arsed. Today, I talked to Jamie Rothorn, who at 25 was living what a lot of people would consider to be the dream. He had grown a YouTube channel to 900,000 subscribers with his best friend, Zach, and they were getting paid hundreds of thousands of dollars to make videos sneaking into some of the world's most exclusive events. But something wasn't right with the YouTube fast life. Jamie started feeling burnt out, and one day he decided to drop everything and move to Mexico to become a YouTube consultant instead. My goal with this interview is to give you guys a realistic preview of what it's actually like to run a YouTube channel, the good, the bad, and the ugly. We also get into some advanced strategies for getting in touch with influential people, as well as what it's like to be a YouTube consultant and tips to get started with that. All right, let's dive in. For people who don't know you, can you share a little bit about the background, specifically YouTube? So the Zach and Jay show, what that is and what the inception story behind that is. Cool, man. Yeah, 2018, moved to London with about 30 grand of savings. Set up a YouTube channel with best friend Zach. Went all in on it straight away. It was called the Zach and Jay show. We were like five months in with about two months of savings left and it wasn't looking good. One video starts going super viral. The Fashion Week video blows us up to 200,000 subscribers uh, by the next month. Yeah, ran it to 900,000 subscribers in three years. Ended up going, shit, I don't think I really want to be a YouTuber left went to mexico 18 months ago and now do youtube consultant nice nice so what was the zach and jay show like as far as the content itself man i i still to this day four and a half years after setting it up don't really know how to describe the youtube channel yeah yeah what i do is like bring up the video titles but some of the stuff that we did was like the longest bus ride in the u.s from florida to seattle yeah we ran a lemonade stand outside bill gates's house we snuck into events and like videoed it so we've been on the red carpet of like leonardo dicaprio that that's kind of how you guys got started right with the sneaking in videos yeah man yeah it's yeah. kind of like the bread and butter in the beginning yeah 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 like i want to really take out of you like what that experience was first couple of years right so you said you guys started with like 15 grand savings or something like that. Yeah. I always say YouTube is like, it's like a startup, right? It's yeah. like, it's a different business model, right? But essentially you're like starting a startup. Yeah. Uh, what was that like? Like, can you share some of the struggles, some of the, the fun moments, the, like the week in the life that, yeah, man. yeah. Man, it was an absolute grind. So, uh, yeah, we were paying ourselves like as little as possible to last as long as possible. We were living in a house of like five people in total on a motorway, like literally next to a motorway. It was so loud every night. In the summer, I'd be like, oh, it's super hot. Do I open my window and like have fumes come inside and like <laughs> hear loads of cars or do I just boil? Maybe not boil, but it was like, it was hot. And like Zach, it's a bit of a like weird backstory, but me and Zach like set up a channel called That Jib or Zach set up a channel called That Jib and it was like about me and him mm -hmm. doing videos. 
But I was running a different company at the time, like a tech company that was trying to use predictive analytics to stop students dropping out of university. So I'd sell that as like a tech solution to universities and I'd charge like 25 to 30 grand for it. And it was were like, you still in school running that? or I set that when I, uh, the first year of university and run it for four years. So I ran it all throughout university. I, I pretty much dropped out of university the last year, but still got the degree somehow. I didn't want to run the YouTube channel with him when it was set up because I was still running my tech company and I was at Bolton University once trying to get £25,000 off him and someone from their senior leadership team was like, I'm sure I recognise you and the week before we'd gone super viral sneaking onto an Olympic bus with Olympians in uh, the Olympics kit. So um, he then grew that channel to about 180,000 subscribers in a year and a half and everyone was looking at him like, man, you're killing it with this channel. Like the, the hottest thing in YouTube in ages, it's super original. And I, like, I was chatting to him throughout that whole kind of period and I was like, man, you're slacking so much. You can do way much more what you're doing. And, and yeah, like I, I think he wasn't too sure what to do on his own. Like he set it up with me and then suddenly he's a YouTuber and like going for it. Finally, I leave that tech company because I absolutely hate it with that 30K, moved to London. But I persuade him to like, not drop that channel because I wanted to join it and turn Zach Allsop into the Zach and Jay show. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we we end up creating the Zach and Jay show and he steps away from that. So we're like five months in, savings are like, we got two months left or something like that. And um, I've just persuaded him to leave his channel of 180K. And we had about 55, 60K subscribers five or six months in. So we'd gain like a little bit of traction. We're making a little bit of money, but no way near like covering the bills. And then that Fashion Week one went super viral and helped us out big time. How much were you guys making per month? And how many videos were we putting out? We were doing a video a week. I think like a grand or something like that. Like we had one brand deal before then and that paid us 5,000 pounds. And I think that was the only revenue we'd made. And there was like all AdSense then after that. Yeah, man, but like we were doing like 40K views per video. So probably 500K views. So I don't even think we were making a grand a month, man, like a, f- a few hundred quid. Right, so just like burning through that yeah, yeah, those yeah. savings pretty much. Yeah, yeah. What was the video? Like the fashion week? Yeah, yeah. So the video was we dressed our friends up in the worst clothes imaginable and took them to London Fashion Week and like pretended they were this crazy model from Bucharest, this 16 year old hot model from <laughs> Bucharest. And the paparazzi started going crazy. Funny little story, actually. The paparazzi didn't really go crazy. There's like freelance bloggers there or freelance photographers who just kind of like want blog content, right? Yeah. So it's not like Vogue magazine and the paparazzis who actually look for hot models. It's like bloggers who just need a bit of content. And like three or four of them started taking photos. And then we started like videoing as well. Like, oh my God, oh my God. And so the video it didn't really have the effect that we wanted. So that video changed our lives straight up. It got, it's now on 32 million views. It got 30 grand in AdSense, grew our channel about 275,000 subscribers, if I remember correctly. And after that first day filming, we weren't even sure if we wanted to release that video because it just wasn't that good. So we filmed again for a second day and then we did release it because we thought it was good enough then. So Um, you repeated what you, what worked basically the format. I mean, that video has now been repeated four times, but we repeated what didn't work. We didn't think it worked enough for the content, so we weren't even going to upload it. And then we filmed again the second day to get enough content, and then that was released. I see. You had two days worth of shooting. You kind of like doubled down on yeah, it. Basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like scraped it. Like, oh, God, like, oh, we think it could be a good enough video. And then it just changed our lives. Hell yeah. What, what changed from there? Like besides, obviously gives you a little more runway, right? Like, yeah. like 30K uh, in ads from that video. Yeah. What changed besides the money, right? Because otherwise it's like, oh, you keep making the same videos, it's probably like run out of money again, right? Like, Yeah. 
the money changed big time and that changed everything because suddenly we had instead of 50,000 subscribers we had 200,000 subscribers or 250,000 subscribers we had 15 grand in adsense come in and we also negotiated a brand deal with a brand just before that and it was based like if we got 200,000 views we'd basically make 15,000 pounds so with both those ad spend we got another 30k but then we had 200,000 subscribers and our views were getting like 100 150k so we knew we could charge 5 to 10k per brand deal then so then you brought in the brand deals basically yeah then it was like sustainable then it was mm-hmm. like oh thank fuck for that like we're, we're going to survive yeah. interesting Zach and you like you guys have like a really interesting thing it was like two people, right? It was like yep. two friends. How do you guys break down like the responsibilities on the channel? Like, let's say after that video was released, like yep. what did a week in your, you guys' life look like? Our lives were very much the same. Yeah, like I said, we, we weren't that worried. Like we still lived in the same house and stuff. We, we just knew like the plan had kind of worked. It was like, oh, f- I, we thought it was going to work, but then five, six months in and you've got two months of cash loss. You're like, wow, man, th- this might not work. I was going to get a bar job, like sell like poor pints and stuff. Like, I was panicking. Like, let's say like your day to day and responsibilities. Like I know he, I think he was working on the edits, right? Yeah. Yeah. So um, yeah. You're more like on the business side or yeah. like, how do you break that down? And like you, you said you're shoot, like trying to release a video a week, right? What did that look like? Right. Yeah. Like from ideation to like planning it out, yeah. right. Shooting, like doing titles, thumbnails, all that stuff. Yep. It's funny because I remember when uh, Nico Milan, we did a video of Nico Milana and he asked me once, like, oh, so what do you even do? And I was like, oh, I just do like the ideation, the strategy, the planning. And he was like, what even is like, what? Because he is so used to like doing the whole thing. And, and I did like towards the end, I started feeling like a bit of a fraud. Like, what am I actually doing? Like, I don't know what camera we even use. So I'm not good at filming. Yeah. I don't know how to edit a video. But yeah, I was kind of on like, I was always like scanning the YouTube scene, like seeing what would work well, like the fashion week video. I'd seen the fake model video, the fake burrito eating video that yes, there we did. That got like 23 million views. I'd seen other fake celebrity videos work quite well. And so my role was, yeah, to just kind of like, just look kind of a few months in ahead, look at the next week uh, ahead and like what videos can we come up with? Yeah, more so at the beginning. It evened out a bit more when Zach didn't have to do the editing because he was just editing full time. Yeah. But yeah, the beginning... So in a way, it's like similar to what you're doing now as a consultant, right? Like, yeah, very, very similar. Yeah. Interesting. Just to give an idea, like anyone that's like interested in becoming a YouTuber, right? Like you did this for like, what, three, four years? Yeah. Four years, I did about two and a half years with the channel. Two and a half years. Okay. So I had some numbers. First year you guys made 86,000 pounds by the end of the year, right? Between the two of you guys, which is like not that much. Second year you made 300K. Mm-hmm. And then that was with the management company. Yeah. So I wanted to talk, yeah. talk about it a little yeah. bit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then uh, third year, I guess you left halfway through. Is that? I can't remember to be honest, mate. But yeah, there okay. is a video breaking it down if people are interested. So 300K is kind of like. It definitely went down after the management company stopped working with us. But yeah, I can't remember. What, what were they doing? Like, so and they, what was the what was the deal with that? So, it sounds pretty yeah. like a good deal. Yeah, it was a really interesting model. Uh, it's called, it was called Kyra TV, still is. In fact, I think it's just Kyra now. But their slogan was New Age TV. And what they found was that big companies would spend hundreds of thousands of pounds to get two-minute advertisement in between a TV series and the average TV series may have 200,000 views. There were YouTubers who were getting way more views, way more watch time, and they were getting 10 grand. And the main kind of discrepancy between that was because 
brands just didn't want to trust a YouTuber just shouting out this toothpaste or something like mm-hmm. that or shouting out Wrigley's who he works with with them. And so, yeah, they, they kind of like built up this really big reputation for delivering super high quality advertisements weaved into the content. And they had 50 people full-time staff working on just two YouTube channels. One of them had 275,000 subscribers. That was Neva. The other one had around 900,000 subscribers, if I remember correctly. That was called PAQ, and it was a fashion show. And I saw they raised $7 million, and somehow like, I got hold of a few decks and stuff, and I just started like peppering the CEO, like, how are you doing this? Let's meet, let's meet, let's meet. And then he'd never respond, so I'd get back to the head of sales, let's meet, let's meet, let's meet. And then he finally met. And then, yeah, we signed... I think one of the best management deals any YouTube channels got in the UK where they put us on six figure salaries. They took 85% of all the brand deals, but the size of the, we only had two to be fair, but like the size of the brand deals were, were huge. So one of them was multiple six figures. The other one was about six figures in dollars. Interesting. Um, so they paid you like basically they front loaded, like they gave you like stability in a way. Yeah. And they probably made a lot of money. It was probably a good deal for them too, right? Yeah, I mean, it was an interesting one because it was when COVID hit. So, uh, oh, they also gave us a fat team. So they gave us like a a channel manager who just managed all the operations. We had uh, a full-time producer. We had two full-time editors. And I think a part-time producer would help out as well. So, um, and like 15 grand budget a month. Like we signed the contract and I was like, do we get any budget for production? Like, oh yeah, you get 15 grand a month. I was like, oh my God. <laughs> um, so yeah, that was cool, man. Uh, but that was only, we only really worked for them for three months before COVID hit. And then that just kind of changed everything. We did like an inside show. So we tried doing like a COVID native show where we link up with other YouTubers who are stuck inside and do like interactive game shows with mm-hmm. them it didn't really work out that well we we kind of binned it off quite quickly but that, that was a cool experience nice what were the highs of like like if you had to sell youtube and then we're gonna go the other way right but like what were the highs of uh of being a youtuber like the fame uh i think you guys had the tv show yeah something that i really enjoyed was um you never knew what was gonna happen yeah if you had a big brand deal if you had a tv show every week you'd have random stuff coming and sometimes it'd be a bit boring but sometimes it'd be like really cool like a tv show or a brand deal wants to fly you to dubai and it's like that's that's kind of cool yeah it's exciting working at the forefront of something it's also exciting feeling that you're like really good at something like me and Zach together with the team like we felt very competent and that's a cool feeling yeah there's something quite cool about being able to create whatever you want if you have an idea one day you can literally film it that day and release it the week after and impact hundreds of thousands of people yeah that was cool do you feel like it was like a good excuse to do like cool shit that you wouldn't have done otherwise or you definitely definitely yeah but i also think there's a bad side of that where you kind of start doing cool shit because you have to or because you get paid and you know you're gonna get subscribers when you don't really want to that's where i got towards the end like I always say going to a theme park if you've never been in your life before is probably really, really cool. If you go every year, it's way less cool. If you have to go to a theme park and ride five rides every day or every week, you're like, this sucks. Do you mm. know what I mean? And that's what it got. Like sneaking onto the red carpet with Leonardo DiCaprio is an example where it sounded really fucking cool. And it was with the TV show as well. I really believed we'd do it. And we had to be like, oh my God, I can't believe this works. And I remember just being sat in the toilet. <laughs> it it for th- became routine, right? Yeah, man. <laughs> like when I'm sat in the toilet for three hours waiting for Leonardo to arrive. I'm like, I can't be asked with this. Like, <laughs> it just can't be asked. I'd rather be at home just watching something. And uh, then we're on the red carpet and we meet him and yeah. the TV show wants us to like bear hug him. And we're like, can't be asked. Uh, just, yeah. Yeah, so go, going more into that burnout phase, right? So I think you left the channel when it was around like a million subscribers, right? Yep. What like mental state were you in and how long has it been now? 
coming up to two years, I think about a year and a half. Yeah, coming up to two years. Yeah, so you've had some time to like reflect on it. Because yeah. I know when you're in, in the midst of it, sometimes you don't even know what's happening yeah. yet. You're just yeah. like, I'm not liking it, you know? Yeah. But like, what do you think? Like, what do you think you left? I think there's like two reasons. One, there's like the YouTube reason and the other is like more personal reason. The personal reason, I guess, was like, I set up my tech company for four years. Uh, that didn't quite work out. The YouTube channel for three years. And then after, when we signed the management contract, that did work out. And that was like my first entrepreneurial success of making hundreds of thousands of pounds a year, being a little bit famous and having hundreds of thousands of subscribers. And I was like, what am I doing here? Like there was seven years into entrepreneurship. And I was like, is this what do I want from life? I heard somewhere that like, if you get rich or if you get loads of money, it just uh, makes you feel more of how you felt without money. Mm. And I think I just realized I felt like pretty empty, pretty lost without that chase. And when I finally got it, I was, I was quite confused and didn't know what to do in my life. And with those questions, I was like, is this all I am now? Like a kid's entertainer, like an actor. Mm. I, I want to be an entrepreneur. I want to build things. And I just kind of got in this bit of a spiral and I, and I was like, oh my God, I've got no pension. I'm like, this career is going to be over. I'm never going to be able to apply my skills. Like, I, I feel like I'm really competent now as a person and capable. And that's how I felt when I started the YouTube channel. I was like, right, we, I thought it was going to be easy. And, and I lost all of that. I was like, man, I'm, I'm going to be fucked in life. What do you think that? Like, like you, you were on a good trajectory with YouTube, right? But why, why do you think there was those doubts, right? Or was it more about the like a question of meaning, you know? And it seems like at the at the root, you're kind of like an entrepreneur, right? Yeah, yeah. Was it more around like, you're questioning yourself around like that journey that you had that you had in your mind of like, hey, I want to build businesses and stuff? Yeah. Or like YouTube didn't feel as much of a, like a business building endeavor? It's weird because uh, I set up a YouTube channel not to like be an influencer and make money through YouTube, but like my tech company was building a tech solution first and then trying to find customers. And I thought what an amazing way to build a business to like build an audience and build these future customers and then build a product. Yeah. But then at three years in, I was like, I underappreciated that you'd need to do bigger ideas and more ideas to maintain an audience and grow an audience. Like you can't just kind of like go on cruise control once you've got a million subscribers and then go and build a really good business and then sell it to them and they'll still be there. Yeah. It was like, three years in we built the channel and I was like there were so many different projects that me and Zach started mainly because I was just like begging him let's do this let's do this or persuading him really intensely let's do this let's do this and we never ended up doing anything really in that space was it because you guys were so busy just like kind of on that creator like rat race where you have to like keep putting out videos and stuff yeah fully I wasn't that bothered about two million subscribers three million subscribers but you kind of need to be bothered about the views and the content really going up. So yeah, we were just focused on that. Didn't really have time for anything else. Word, so I started feeling very trapped, very trapped being a creator. Nice. Yeah, well, kudos for stepping out. I feel like a lot of people probably would have kept, just like kept at it, you know, like even though they're, they're burnt out. Yeah. Well, um, it took a while. It was like uh, at least six months, I think. Yeah. Like, I just had this little niggle inside, probably for over a year, to be honest, like a little niggle inside of me of like, what is this? What am I doing? I was, I was petrified to like step out. Yeah. I feel like the hardest thing is like, once you've reached some level of success, it's kind of like go down that mountain, right? Yeah, <laughs> like yeah, start yeah, zero. Yeah, right? yeah. 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 It felt like jumping off the mountain. Cause I was like, I, I have no idea what I'm doing. And for the last seven years, it all been planning of like, this is what I need to do to grow. This is where the exit will be. This is the plan. I was like, I'm just going to walk away from a big fat YouTube channel that pays really well. That's like the dream that I've worked super hard for. It's like the golden handcuffs in a way, right? Yeah. Even though it's like your own thing. Yeah, man. Yeah. But I'd say as well, Zach was like really, really helpful with that. Like I think 
if I was in grind mode, like in the first year or two, and he said to me, Jamie, I'm going to leave the YouTube channel. I would have gone mental, not at him, but like inside. I'd have gone, what am I doing my life? The business partner's leaving. He's the face yeah. of the channel, the whole dynamics. But he was like super cool about it. Like, I think he could really tell that I wasn't happy yeah. and just like listened and, and said like, I wasn't productive while I was super like not happy there. So yeah. he was really understanding like to help me and, yeah. kind of go. Good friend. Yeah. Yeah, man. Yeah, yeah, definitely. From there, how do you start getting into consulting? It's kind of a necessity to be honest. I needed the money. Mm-hmm. Not properly, but I tried setting up a business last year, but I was still fairly like depressed and lost. And that business was going to be called Learn With Me. And it's the idea that I think creators are sat on so much like pent up demand, but they're so busy running the content that they don't ever fulfill that demand and they can't really offer a product or service that's really high quality. And I saw Ali Abdal make really good money and and a really good product with part-time YouTuber Academy. But I've met Ali and I don't want to say a productivity freak, but he kind of is in the best way possible. Like he was working all the time. I asked him, Ali, how many hours do you do? And he's like, oh, I don't see this as work. And I was like, didn't really answer the question, (laughs) Ali. Yeah, so what I wanted to do is partner creators with an expert who doesn't have the demand. So partner creators with loads of demand with an expert who's got really cool specific knowledge that doesn't have demand, work with the expert on building like a really good course with them, like a four-week program, like a live course, so two sessions a week or something like that, but then have the creator actually learn from the expert. So Mm -hmm. they don't actually have to do any legwork. They just sit in on the classes in the area that they want to learn from. So I tried setting that up. I didn't know what topic to do. So I ended up doing it on NFTs because I personally wanted to learn about NFTs. And I just realized I looked like a dickhead selling an NFT course <laughs> as like a, an ex-influencer. I was like, oh God. Yeah. Four months in after running one that failed, like the co-founder let, or the woman who was going to run the course like didn't want to do it. And I'm kind of glad because I didn't really want to do it. And then I was like, shit, I've just wasted four months of savings trying to set up this business and it's made me zero revenue. It probably cost me about a grand as well. And I was like, what should I do with my life? And I was going to set up another business, like a a little project. I ended up saying to myself, I feel like I'm one of the best people in the world for growing YouTube channels. I feel like this is a very, very valuable asset to have, but I also feel it's a very perishable asset. So in a year's time, this knowledge is going to probably be worth 50% of what it is now. So I should probably just stick with it. I was like, right, okay, I'm going to give myself six weeks to get a client. And my method was to once a week, send like a kind of in-depth report of how someone can improve their YouTube channel and I was targeting people that were already spending 10 grand a month and would have a huge upside if YouTube worked well. And I saw Cody, yeah, I just saw Cody's content. I knew she wanted to build like a tech platform or product through the YouTube channel or using the YouTube audience. So there was huge upside there. I knew that she was quite successful. So I sent, she was the first woman that I sent it to. And within a few hours, I got a message back saying, wow, this is sick. Let's get on a call. And I did that with uh, Morning Brew. I did that with a few other channels as well. And, and yeah, within... It was six weeks in and I had my call with Cody like the next week and I was like, oh, okay, my target's up and I might have to get a job. And then inside I realized, man, I'm not getting a job. I'm just I'm grinding <laughs> out till it's zero. And if it hits zero, I'm going minus. Well, I'm getting the shack again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm get, yeah, like bunkering down. But then I signed Cody the next week and I signed Morning Brew the week after. I was like, fuck, this is, this is great. Um, so that's how I started. Dude, so let, let's dive in. This is like the meat and potatoes of the show. Yeah, man. Let's dive in on your outreach. You did one a week. Like, what mm-hmm. did the report look like? Uh, it changed per person. But with Cody, I analyzed one video in particular and said everything that she could do better. But I had, like, a big imposter syndrome at, at the beginning. Like, oh, like, is this going to help? Is this going to work? And, yeah, it ended up working really well for her. Would you mind, like, reading the DM? 
Yeah, man. I, I think it is cool. I, I absolutely love Twitter. I don't really talk about how much I love Twitter. I talk about my Instagram. But you're a ninja with DMs. Like, I feel like you uh, you just reach out whenever there's someone that, yeah. that's interesting or you feel like can connect you to someone or you listen to an episode of my show and you, you reached out, right? Mm-hmm. And I think you reached out to person behind like Mark Manson and yep. I feel like you're pretty good with like the behind the scenes people too, right? Yeah. Like like getting in the door. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so let, let's see this DM. But yeah, this one to Cody. So it is, um, hi, Cody. This is 28th of June, 2022. It's now 30th of April, so 10 months ago. I've written up a three-page analysis on how you can get more views and subscribers based on your last video, completely for free, in brackets, worth $1,200. Pulled that price out my ass. Sorry, Cody. Um, <laughs> I ran one of the fastest-growing YouTube channels in the UK, and I think you could have one of the most successful YouTube channels on the planet. Big statement. <laughs> you can view the document here. Let me know if you have any questions. Your friend, Sean, loved the ideas I sent to him after funding my last project. And then, yeah, three hours later, two and a half hours later, Jamie, this is amazing. Thank you for reaching out. My admin is going to send you an email and we can have a call when I'm back in the country. Nice. So, um, you also threw in like a mutual connection for yeah. credibility. Yeah, there's, there's a couple of things in there. So it's like three pages that's specific. It's not crazy, but it's also kind of beefy. So it sounds valuable. Yeah. Um, how you can get more views and subscribers. Like everyone wants that based on your last video completely for free. Like it's a free gift. And then in brackets, adding something tangible, like $1,200, I think adds a lot of weight to it. Yeah. One of the fastest growing YouTube channels in the UK. That's like who I am. And like, I'm not around, you know, it's a big, big thing most successful channels on the planet. That's something I've noticed about big entrepreneurs as well. They don't want to fuck around on small things. Like don't be afraid to pitch big, I'd say. And then yeah, the social proof as well with Sean Pori, who gave me like an Ethereum once for the last project on the NFT thing. Nice. And uh, as far as the three page document itself, you said you're breaking down one of her videos. Do you mind like high overview of like what that was like? I think it was like a stronger hook there was a bit of vagity I imagine in the hook um I think endings are underappreciated on YouTube like people kind of do like boring outros mm-hmm. when retention just goes down 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 and I think she probably did that it's kind I of a common chase, mistake yeah, yeah. there's cool, like, so like retention stuff basically yeah there was also something on like chapters do you ever use chapters on mm-hmm. on, on YouTube so I just like highlighted what the chapters would be so she could just copy and paste that into the description nice. they'd be automatically applied so basically how would you have packaged that video yeah from a like experienced perspective of yeah. like making viral bangers yeah if you don't mind, let's look at the morning brew one. Because I remember uh, hearing on, on another podcast you did that you were kind of like hungover when you said this. Oh, man. man, I have to admit, I'm a little bit hungover today. And it's not my fault. Well, it is. But I had like four or five drinks. So I didn't go crazy over the space of four hours. I was in bed by 11 and I just woke up at half five and, and couldn't sleep again. But man, yeah, it's, it's so cool. Like this Twitter thing. Man. Like I, I DM both of these people. I just bumped into Cody then, worked out with a husband today who's really cool. Flew out to Miami with her. Austin was in Mexico City the other day. Met up with him. And me and you on this podcast. Like yeah. All of this is just through DMing people on Twitter. It's so sick. Yeah, I was sat on my, yeah, in a very similar state to this, in fact, on my aunt's sofa in Mexico City, like this random neighborhood in Mexico City. And I come up with a YouTube idea that I think would be really good. Joe Biden did a tweet once like, oh my, we're at wartime. Gas station owners need to reduce their price now because they're not being patriotic. And I thought it'd be funny seeing someone from Morning Brew go to these gas stations with that tweet printed out and saying, hey man, you've just charged me 50 bucks. Can you charge me 40 bucks? Like, look, Joe Biden says. And like those Midwest gas station owners would be like, no man, Joe Biden go fuck himself. <laughs> and it was like, look, honestly, look at this tweet. You should do this. Yeah. And I just sent that to Austin and I went, an idea for you. I advise Milk Road on content ideas. That is a bit of a... 
after they funded my last project. But uh, yeah, it's like using somewhat of credibility, even if it's like a like a white lie kind of. Yeah, like, like there's some truth there. Right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, yeah, Milk Road gave me an Ethereum for like a little competition thing that they did for cool crypto projects. Yeah. And uh, I sent them as a thank you and just to like get some brownie points from Sean and um, Ben, um, some ideas for the YouTube channel. And they really loved it. They were like, oh, thanks so much. So I advised them. I don't currently advise. So, you know, it's, it's close. Yeah, yeah, yeah. An idea for you. I advised Milk Road on content ideas after they funded my last project, but thought this would be better up your street than them. Would be hilarious seeing the response from old gas station owners, seeing someone ask them to reduce price on the base in the tweet. And again, man, 14 minutes later, Austin, the CEO of Morning Brew, it's 70 million plus company, responds, wow, that's an amazing idea. How can you advise us on stuff? We'll have a think and send some thoughts over this week. And then, yeah, sent him again, like a bit of an analysis report on, on what they're doing wrong. And that was a lot easier to do. They were doing a lot wrong. So you didn't even pitch anything. You just like, you added value, you like shared that idea. And yeah. then he was like, yo, how can you help us? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The idea was great. Yeah. That's how you do it, man. And also, man, like I hate having really good ideas and no one acts on it. I don't necessarily need to act on it, but someone please do something with it. It's that, like you had the idea anyway. Yeah, right? I it's had like, the idea anyway. I wasn't going to go do it. So yeah. just like take this idea and he loved it. Who else uh, have you reached out that way? Like anyone noteworthy or fun, you know fun story? Nah, it's interesting. I'm thinking like how I can do it more. Cause right now I, I get four or five inbounds every single week of people that want to work with me, but it's all inbound. And again, I kind of, I'm quite heavy on Twitter now because I realized they were all from Twitter and it's starting to show. But I'm like, how do I turbocharge that with outbounds? I personally probably wouldn't want to do it myself. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like it works so well. It wouldn't be that hard to delegate, right? Like find like a hungry kid that wants to learn YouTube, right? And yep. and have a format for like two pages. This is how you analysis and key things like thumbnail, title, intro, pacing, outro, the ask, like a subscriber ask, maybe some ideas for them. But yeah, man, that could be easily done. Cool. And I, I just saw a tweet. You did that with the founder of Soho House as well. That's a yeah. pretty cool one, right? Yeah. Just I, sent- I do that shit all the time yeah. and there's no reason for it. And yeah, I sent him 14 ideas of how they could open up in Mexico City without gentrifying the place too much. And uh, he got back instantly again saying like, wow, thank you so much. This is super helpful. And that wasn't even YouTube really. It was mm. just like, you got, you had ideas. You're like, yeah. share them. They connected you with like the, the Mexico, like yeah. executives. Kind yeah, of, yeah. Right? So getting into the consulting stuff, I think two of your main clients were Cody and Morning Brew, right? Yep. What was uh, your consulting process with them? How did that look like? So for my first business, the technology company, I had like a mentor who helped me with sales and it's basic stuff like funnels. I got back in touch with him and he helped me craft out like a five-step consulting process. And the first one was like researching the niche. The second one was coming up with ideas. The third one was perfecting the ask. The fourth one maybe was analytics. And the final one was like constant analysis of just like maintenance. So that's kind of what I pitched a morning brew. And yeah, it was quite a big pitch. Like it was a decent chunk of money. And I was like nervous. Like, oh, I've landed Cody. That's cool. But let's go big here. The COO is going on. I've met with Austin already. And I'm like, oh, right, I'm going to do a pitch. He's going to negotiate down. The guy comes on eating a chocolate bar. And I'm like, oh, this isn't a negotiate. And he's like, yeah, man, sounds super cool. And like, we just talk out. Well, kind of what was mates. the pitch? The pitch was for me to work with them for four months on, on turning around the YouTube channel. They had quite a few staff on it and they were, I called it a video content dumping ground, like shorts were on there. So many different formats. I think they had like 15 different formats. Yeah. So there was no like content congruency. There was no like steady. It was just a bit of a mess to be honest. Yeah. And they knew that. And I just told them very clearly exactly how, yeah, said that I can work with you to help change that. Nice. Yeah. Nice. 
I want to dive into your like researching ideas process. Yep. You recently released a, a product where yeah, that's that's kind of what you focus on, like yeah. 10x ideas that will blow up your channel, right? Yeah. Can yeah. you share a little more about that? And- yeah, man, definitely. It's really cool. And I never had it as a codified thing when I was running the YouTube channel, but on retrospect, it's kind of obvious. So yeah, when before we set up the Zach and Jay show, I was about to move to London with every penny that I've got. And I was kind of nervous and anxious and like, what work should I do? So I just started researching other videos on YouTube that had done quite well. Yeah, one of them was Yes Theory's video that had got like 27 million views of an exploring an abandoned city with no laws. Mm. And so I just started brainstorming ideas off that and found a bog snorkeling competition in Wales. And so we filmed that as the first ever video after like the introduction, like, oh, we're creating a channel. So how do you go from like seeing that video to like, oh, this is like, like this is a great category for us to try to emulate well i didn't know it was a great category uh, and again like i was kind of winging it then but now i i know the process but um yeah it performed really well for yes theory oh i didn't at the time but now i would extrapolate why that worked so it evokes curiosity it's a captivating thumbnail yeah you kind of think to yourself wow that still exists that's insane yeah evokes a lot of curiosity i think is the main one and yeah did the box knocking one our second ever video first one after the intro video and that got four hundred thousand views in the first month and like took us to 30k subs and after that man i was I was like, oh, this YouTube game is going to be even easier than I thought. Mm-hmm. Like, I wasn't worried at all. Yeah, then it slowed down a bit after that. But yeah, we rinsed and repeat that process to other strange traditions. I think we got over like seven or eight million views from other strange traditions. And I just now wrapped that process into a product for people. So it captures the highest performing content within people's niches. So I go and analyze all the, all the competitors in the niche. And yeah, there's some... YouTube's 18 years old as a platform and there's so many videos from like six or seven or eight or 10 years ago that people don't see that has performed really well that can inform really good content today. And so yeah, capture all of these high performing content pieces, categorize them into like key areas. So for us, strange traditions would be one and then brainstorm six months worth of weekly content ideas for people. And again, like at the time I wasn't really doing that, but with Cody, I did that process and same with Morning Brew. And the first video that Cody did off the back of this process got 2.6 million views. Uh, It's the seven amazingly safe business ideas backed by data or something like that. Mm. And it was interesting because a lot of the content in the business niche was around like money that you would make. So 10K, 15K, 17K, 100K a month. But this was the opposite. This was like fail safe businesses. So it was, no one would have really seen this without this data research process. And that, yeah, second highest performing video is on 1 million views. That's on 2.6. And it's made of like 50 grand in AdSense, about 50 grand as well and 50,000 subscribers as well. And how do you find that video? Like what's the process for actually finding the banger format? Yeah, there's quite a few different ways. There's a tool that I use spy spotter or something like that. And that's, it's kind of cool. Like it's a web extension that you can see you can type in like a filter and you can see videos with a good view to subscriber ratio, basically. Mm-hmm. So that, I think that found um, some inspiring videos for that. But I also type in video titles that Cody's already got and see who else comes up. Then I go on their channel. Then I look at their most popular videos. I also just type in like random business stuff and see who else comes up. Yeah. And you find like all sorts of weird channels that are like loosely related to the niche that you can yeah. get really cool insights from. Yeah. I find there's a lot of lessons across categories as well, right? So it's like, you can learn a lot from I'd say like a treasure hunting video for like a business video. You know, it's like there's weird parallels sometimes, right? Where you like, you'll know some formats and like how to convert that over. Yeah. 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 Definitely, man. Yeah. Cool, man. What's next? Man, to be honest, I'm not entirely sure. So yeah, I kind of did that thing again with that I did with the YouTube channel where I work super hard to do something, achieve it and then go, I'm not that bothered Yeah. with this consulting stuff. So 
I kind of saw Paddy Galloway and Zach had a call with him early last year and I was on the call because I still wasn't too sure what to do with the YouTube channel. And um, he was like really nice and sent me a couple emails on like advice to get into consulting. I think I saw somewhere, maybe even on this podcast, he was yeah. making like 50K a month and I was like, shit, I can make 20% of that. I'll be fucking happy. Yeah. And I was like, do I have 20% of his knowledge? Yeah. Do I have the skills other than that? I was like, yeah, I think I do. So that was the target. And I did that in like, yeah, after morning brew with Cody and morning brew. I did that after them too. So how much were you making like with them? That was like 13 K a month with those guys. But then I would do the consulting stuff as well on like the one one hour sessions and stuff like that. But then I was like, shit, this doesn't really scale. So that's when I created the TYVM, the YouTube's view machine strategy product, yeah. which is that capture, categorize, create process, selling that for like nine K. And that takes, it's not necessarily more scalable, but it's much more profitable for less time. So yeah, it's higher leverage. Help. Yeah. Higher leverage, yeah. How, how much of those have you sold? Uh, I've sold two, um, but there's like two people who are like really free. In fact, three people that are like probably going to buy it soon. Nice. But yeah, even with that, the goal was to sell one of them a month. And now it was February and I'd sold, I think it was even the end of January, I sold my second one. And I was like, mm, I'm not really that bothered with this either. I'm taking a bit of time out at the moment of intensity to just assess what my next steps actually yeah, are. Respect it. I don't want to have to do a medical degree to realize I don't want to be a doctor. And that's mm-hmm. why I just keep fucking doing. And it's like the money I'm not that bothered by, like taking 10 to hundred K that's like instinctly what I want to do. But I know a hundred K a month, I just won't be bothered. And then a million yeah. a month, I just won't be bothered unless there's something bigger underpinning it. So I'm taking it out and I'm saying, man, what do I actually want to do and build and uh, impact wise. And yeah, man, I'm just having those conversations. I'm kind of flowing in that space. And I have been for like a month and a half. Loving it, loving it. That's cool, man. Thanks for sharing that. A book that uh, I've always found really helpful in those kind of like transitory moments is Designing Your Life. Right. Sure if you've heard of that one. No, man, that sounds perfect. Um, I'll ship it to you. Yeah, so. yeah, man. No, you don't have to ship it. I've got a Kindle. Um, but yeah, man, I'm doing all sorts of stuff. I think, wait, who wrote that? Something Barnett. It used to be a Stanford course for like all incoming freshmen. Whereas like the, applying the principles of like design thinking, they have like a design right. school okay, there, really cool. applying that to your life. And there's like really cool exercise in there as far as like noticing like what energizes you, what, what engages really you cool. and stuff. And yeah. yeah, I've been doing a lot of stuff like that, like uh, a vision board, which I kind of thought was a bit lame before, but I, I've done it and I thought it's kind of useful. Um, I'm reading a book called How to Measure Your Life by Clayton mm, Christian. Yeah. So yeah, man, I'm doing all sorts of that stuff. Nice, man. Cool. Well, I think that's it. Thanks for sharing your story, man. No worries, I'm sure it was man. super, super valuable to a lot cool. of uh, people Hopefully. listening. And any, any final words? Nah. nah. <laughs> cool. Sounds good, brother. Thanks, man. Thanks yeah. for having me.